Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have a talk on one of my favorite uh, passages from Matthew chapter 11. The title of this message is The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. Hey, we got our volunteer appreciation barbecue coming up this Friday with live music from Big Daddy O, and I'm going to be cooking up all kinds of barbecue as well. So, come out if you're serving anywhere in the church. Uh, we look forward to seeing you. Also, we've got uh, some other events kicking off with women's ministry that you can check out on our Facebook page or at NorthShoreVineyard.org. But for now, let's head to the talk. Thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard Church. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verse 16 through 18 and 25 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. He said, what picture shall... Could I get it a little less volume? I'm just, I feel like I'm, I'm going to hurt people if I start preaching. Check, check. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit more than that. It just sounds a little loud to me. Right, right there. Is that good? Okay. Glory. Check. All right. What picture shall I give? Is there some compression on it or something? I'm sorry. Uh, I, it, okay, just turn it up. Just turn it up a little here. I think it's just some compression on it. It's no, no pressure. Okay. All right, that's great. What picture shall I give you for this generation, asked Jesus. It's like a bunch of children sitting in the town square and singing songs to each other. This is how it goes. You didn't dance when we played the flute. You didn't cry when we sang the dirge. John came fasting, and they called him crazy. I came feasting, and they called me a lush, a friend of the riffraff. Opinion polls don't count for much, do they? The proof is in the pudding, or the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say, this unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I read an article in the Washington Times, Washington, Washington Post, sorry, I always get those confused, in the Washington Post uh, a few years back about a social experiment to see if people would recognize uh, 
good music from a world-class uh, classical virtuoso violin player if that person was taken out of his regular context. You know, we expect to hear uh, classical musicians in concert halls where everybody's dressed up and formal. And they, they thought if we took one of those guys and put him in a, another setting where normal people would come across him, would people even recognize that it was good music or would they just walk on by? So to do this experiment, they recruited a guy named Joshua Bell, who is one of the best violinists in the world right now. And on top of that, they were able to uh, borrow a Stradivarius violin valued at $3.5 million. I don't think I could play an instrument that was valued. I'd be just too nervous. And they decided to put Joshua, De Joshua Bell at the entrance of the subway in Washington, D.C. So he shows up, not dressed in a tux or a, uh, a suit, but he's dressed in jeans and a t-shirt with a Washington Nationals baseball cap on. He opens up his violin case, puts the violin case in front of him for tips, tunes up and proceeds to play some of the most uh, complicated and emotive music ever written for the violin, pieces by Bach and others. And for the next five, 45 minutes, he just continues to play these songs. Now, you may have seen this story making the rounds on social media. You may have seen the YouTube clips. You can go look it up. But in that 45 minutes, a little over 1,000 people walked by. How many people do you think recognized that this was some good music. Not too many. <laughs> Actually, it was less than 30 people stopped for any length of time to look at this guy. Because in the minds of most of the passerby, this may be a good musician, but he's just one of those street musicians. Most of them didn't realize that this is the guy that you would have paid well over $100 for a ticket to see him two nights before at the local concert hall. Truth is, most people just kept on going and they didn't notice it because he, this Joshua Bell, this virtuoso violin player playing the best instrument that we've known has ever been created in the world, playing the most difficult music on it, it most people didn't notice it at all. What's comforting to me is at the end of his 45 minutes when he started counting his tips, I think he had something like $37 in tips. And one of those tips was like a $20 tip from a lady that actually recognized him. So if you count, if you take that out, I'm like, yeah, I could do that in 45 minutes in a subway. <laughs> but in the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus uses a, a similar example. He says, what shall I compare this generation to? It's like kids in the street saying, we played a, I played a song for you and you didn't dance. We sang the blues and you weren't even moved by it. See, Jesus came into our world not just as a talented rabbi or guru, not just as a prophet, but as God in the flesh. The Word made flesh, God incarnate. And the truth is, most people didn't see Jesus because he didn't fit their conceptions of what 
God or a godly person ought to look like. And why? Because Jesus was always hanging out with the wrong kind of people. Tax collectors, prostitutes, fishermen, people on the fringes, people who had been uh, ostracized and pushed aside by religion. That's who Jesus chose to take company with. And so he got a lot of flack for this. And Jesus says in this statement, he says, uh, you know, when John the Baptist came on the scenes, he was like an ascetic. He was very disciplined. He was always fasting and praying and doing all these things that, that were disciplines. And people looked at John the Baptist and they're like, this guy's demon-possessed, or at least mentally disturbed. Which, granted, if you see a guy dipping locusts in honey and eating them right in front of you, come on, John. <laughs> but Jesus says the Son of Man came not fasting, but eating and drinking, hanging out with the wrong kind. Of, and, and people started calling Jesus a drunk and a glutton. And as I'm reading this, I was reminded of one of the, the famous parables, that probably the most famous parable that Jesus ever delivered outside of, say, the Good Samaritan uh, passage, which Judy already preached on today. So I was going to use that now. Um, <laughs> is the parable of the prodigal son. And really... We should stop calling the parable of the prodigal son the prodigal son. We should call it the parable of the older brother because really, in context, the point is really Jesus' answer to the religious leaders. It's more about the older brother's reaction in the story. So I'm going to tell you the story rather than reading it. Jesus said there was a, a, a well-to-do, upstanding man in the community who had two sons. And the younger son came to his dad one day and he says, Dad, I want everything that you're going to leave me when you die, but I'd like to have it now. Now, this might be an odd thing for, for somebody to say nowadays, but back in that culture at that time, that would be like saying, uh, I want all the material blessings you have without having to have relationship with you, and I'd like that right now. It's, it's in essence saying, I wish you were dead. I want to uh, have your riches, but live outside of your house and do what I want. And this father realizing, like any father would, if their young son came to him asking for the inheritance, he's probably not going to spend it too well. He's probably not going to go out there and invest and, and you know, be an entrepreneur. He's probably going to do something foolish with it. But knowing that, the father says, okay. And the father brings the two sons together, and he divides his inheritance among them. Notice here that the older son gets his inheritance too. The young son takes his inheritance, he goes off to a foreign land, and he's partying, and it's great. There's an old song. Nobody knows you when you're down and out. As for your pocket, you haven't got a penny. As for your friends, you haven't got any. When you get back up on your feet again, everybody want to be your long-lost friend. I tell you, mister, without any doubt, nobody knows you when you're down and out. I'm trying to make a, a rock opera of this, this story, or at least a blues opera. And, and, and the prodigal son found the meaning of that song. When he had money, everybody loved him. Everybody wanted to be his friends. But then a famine comes, an economic downturn. Now he doesn't have a friend in the world. He's on his own. 
the only job this young Jewish boy can get who grew up in a kosher home where you couldn't even touch pork is working at a pig farm. And things get so bad that one day he finds himself looking at that pig slop. And for the first time in his life, that pig slop actually looks good. That's a road sin will take you down, right? Sometimes if you go down that path of self-destruction, you'll find yourself doing some things you never thought you'd do and thinking they're good. But at that moment, he has a thought of clarity. Maybe I can go back to my father's house and I'll just say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm, no, I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. Disown me, but let me be one of your slaves, your servants. Let me work in your house and, because I know your servants least get three meals a day and a place to lay their head and so this young son takes the long journey back home and I can imagine the thoughts going on in his head I remember as a kid worst thing I could ever hear my mom tell me you just wait till your dad gets home those were the longest hours (laughs) Because now you're trying to figure out how are you going to explain why you broke that thing or caught that thing on fire (laughs) or locked that kid up in the closet or, you know, whatever crazy thing you did. And he's taking a long journey back to home and he's rehearsing in his mind. I I wonder if he's going to forgive me. I wonder if he's going to accept me. I I wonder if this is even going to work. And he's practicing his lines. And finally, he gets up in view of the house. And this is where the story starts to get interesting because we find that the father is looking out the window. And you get the sense that the father looks out the window every day. He's always looking, is this the day that my son comes home? And the father sees out on the the horizon this little speck approaching. And eventually that speck turns into a person. And after a few minutes, even though this this son is, is dirty and messed up, he begins to go, that's my son. And the father does something in, very uncharacteristic in that culture at your time. If you were a, if you were a well-to-do member of society, you never ran anywhere. That was, that's what, what people who didn't have money did or little kids did. But this father begins to gird up his loins, so to speak. He gets his robe, he pulls it off, and he takes off running. And he finally comes to his son. And his son starts to try to, 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 to say the lines that he's rehearsed. Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. And the father's not even paying attention. The father just grabs him and hugs him and embraces him, crying. Next thing the father does is says, get a robe. Put a robe on him. Let's get him cleaned up. Put some shoes on his feet. Put a ring on his finger, the ring with the, the, the signet of the house that said, you're in relationship, you're a part of the family, you have the authority of the Father. Put that on his finger, and let's have a party. So later that evening, they're having a party. Now all this time, the older brother's been out working in the fields. He starts making his way back to the house. And he gets quarter mile away and he starts to notice something is that is that barbecue is that is that brisket 
man, we haven't had brisket around here in a long time. He's, his mouth's watering. He's starting to think, this must be a special occasion. He gets closer to the house. He begins hearing the music. There's a band playing. He hears laughter. He's starting to get excited. Something special is going on. Then he finds one of the servants. He says, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother's come back, and your dad's throwing a party for him. And all of a sudden, his excitement, his joy, his expectation of barbecue, water is splashed on it. And these deep resentments within inside him spill up like bile in the back of his throat. And now he's furious. He's fuming, pacing back and forth. But his father comes from outside the party, hearing that the older brother's there. He says, son, why don't you come inside and join the party? And the son's like, are you kidding me? Come inside and join the party? This son of yours, doesn't even call him his own brother, this son of yours took your inheritance and squandered it away on partying and women, has wasted the entire thing, and comes back, and you want to throw a party for him? It's like all these years I've been slaving for you. And not once have you even offered me such, so much as a baby goat to barbecue. We call that gabrito back in West Texas. You haven't even given me gabrito. And the father looks at him. He says, son, don't you understand? Everything that I have is already yours. You could have a barbecue every day of the week if you wanted. But this brother of yours, he was lost and has now been found. He was dead and has been made alive again. Why don't you come in and celebrate with me? This is a good thing. And then Jesus drops the microphone, which I won't do this morning. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus ends this parable with a big question mark. And the point of this parable was to make the ones hearing it a little bit uncomfortable. Jesus was being accused over and over again of hanging out with the wrong kind of people, not acting like a proper religious teacher should. And Jesus' answer is this parable. In this parable, the young son represents all the people that Jesus has been reaching out to. The broken, the humble, the hungry, the poor, the ones who, who have been pushed to the edges by society and religion. Jesus has been hanging out, pouring his life into them, breaking bread with them. Jesus is represented by the father character in this parable because that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's coming up to people who aren't even asking forgiveness and he's just embracing them, welcoming them to his table. But the older brother in this parable represents the religious leaders of the culture of that day, the Pharisees, the scribes, because they're standing outside looking at Jesus with contempt, thinking, no way these folks should get in. I mean, they haven't done enough. We've been tirelessly working, serving God. We've come up with even more rules on how to serve God. Like, we're experts at this. We've devoted our lives to this. How come these guys who've done nothing can just jump in with this new prophet teacher, Jesus? That's not fair. 
And Jesus' reply to them is, why don't you just get excited about what God's doing instead of being miserable in your own little club? In this passage we're looking at today, Jesus says, he prays out loud, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Thank you, Father, that all the people that think they got you figured out, they didn't get in on this one. All the people who've got all the charts and graphs of how you're going to do everything, and, and they've got you all boxed in, and they, they've got all the theological answers for that th we finally figured out how God is. Thank you that those guys didn't see you coming. But the ones who didn't know anything, the ones who got in on it. And Jesus ends with this verse, and I, I've, I've particularly gone with the uh, Eugene Peterson translation of this today because I feel like Peterson draws together so poetically the theological themes going on in this chapter. And this verse, these last two verses are like a cup of cold water for your soul. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is the invitation of the Spirit this morning. See, Jesus shows us in the parable there are two ways to be lost. Most of the time, we, we only think of one way to be lost. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? We think of that way, like... That, that's the obvious way, the path of self-destruction. But in the parable of the prodigal son, we see that you can actually be in the father's house. You can be an upstanding member of society and your church and volunteer and all this stuff. And you can be disconnected from God because you're so focused on your own performance, your own rules, all this stuff. I spent the first decade at least of my Christian walk... Uh, not very nice to other people because I hated stuff in my own heart. And so I'd always project it onto others. I, I hated in other people what, what I couldn't resolve within myself. I was very disciplined. I was uh, very involved in church. And yet I found it only took two years of that particular kind of religion before I was totally born, burned out, worn out, and tired. <laughs> And the first cracks that began to come in, into that way of thinking for me was when I began to just give up. And Jesus said, okay, we can use that. And for the first time in my life, I began to experience a little bit of the grace of God. Now it took me several more years before I could actually move into that. But the call to us this morning is the same. The invitation of this prayer is the same. Whether you find yourself like the commuters that day in Washington, D.C., who walked by Joshua Bell playing Bach on a Stradivarius and who didn't even notice it at all. Maybe your life is just too busy and too packed that you don't even notice God's movement anywhere. 
Because you're, you're just not looking. You're not paying attention. Your ears aren't open to, to that music. Your eyes aren't open to see what God's doing. Maybe you find yourself in that place today. Maybe like the younger son, you've been engaged in self-destructive things in your life that, that are taking you down and, 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 and you need to, to come back to the Father's house. Maybe there have been things that have been done to you. You've been the victim of things. Maybe you uh, are, are hurt, not because of your own decision, but because of somebody else's decisions. Or maybe like the older brother, you find yourself just looking down on people. You can't get excited when people who are outside your little group get blessed. And you find it's a simmering resentment. And it spills out on Facebook and Twitter and, and in your conversations, this, this, this bile from within. The invitation is the same to all of us wherever you find yourself today. Come to me. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Let's stand. Jesus, we hear your words today. And whatever group we, we tend to find ourselves in this day, if it's like the people on the subway, like the younger brother like the older brother. Lord, wherever we are, God, we take a step by faith towards you. God, we bring you our brokenness. We bring you our wounds, our disappointments. We bring you our, our best efforts. We bring you the things that we're most ashamed of. We let go. We release it into your hands today, God. Lead us in the way of life, God. Help us to live by your unforced rhythms of grace. To know what that is. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you, if you need some personal prayer this morning, we want to invite you down to the front, and we would be glad to get a few people to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. You have a wonderful day. That's it. Bye.